0: Thank you very much to this congregation for your warm welcome, and thank you to Pastor Steve and the staff and the leadership here for trusting us with the important task of sharing the Word of God and telling you a little bit about what we see from our small angle, what is happening around the world. My name is John Wagenveld. It's a pleasure to be here, and like Steve said, uh, my wife Angela will be here second service, so maybe if you're crossing with the people coming into the second service, you can see her at that time. I would like to bring the word today out of Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21. Many people, uh, I think, don't realize that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's this promise of the big story of a new heaven and a new earth. One of the cool things, one of the cool things uh, that is that we can uh, be happy about right here at uh, Mill Creek is that people around the world, even as we're gathered to worship here, they have been worshiping already a few hours before because they're, uh, they, they're in a different uh, time zone. But I just want to show you a few pictures here. Uh, Steve and I work with Multiplication Network Ministries. For short, easy to remember, is like the sweet candy that some of us like called M&M. So if you see those m and sometimes at the market just do a, pr- a quick prayer for those people at M&M who are multiplying churches around the world. It is really exciting to be uh, at work with what the Holy Spirit is doing. As I get older and older, uh, I don't know if Pastor Steve agrees with this, but the more you realize that. It's not about our human agency, but about just being a channel of God's grace and just being in the flow of what the Spirit is doing. He told me yesterday about the miracle about this of this building, the way that this came about. That is an amazing story of how you guys were able, when you were first starting and taking the first steps as a congregation here in Mill Creek, How the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit and arranging some divine connections, made it possible that you could access such a wonderful platform for ministry. And we know that it's not so much about about the brick and mortar. This is just a beautiful place to train people, from which to send people, to gather and worship, and then to be the church gathered, and then the church scattered into the world, accomplishing the purposes for which the Spirit has uh, uh, equipped us. And so what a blessing to hear that. The other thing I need to tell you, if you don't remember anything else, is that the context, the nature and creation of this area of the United States, I've been in over 100 countries, and I'm driving around with my wife and Steve, and I'm going, wow, look at the mountains over there, and look at the water over there, look at the lake, and look at those trees, it's an amazing place, and so if you've been here all your life, don't take it for granted, this is amazing. And I come from Michigan and we are proud of Michigan. We think Michigan is cool. But my wife says to me yesterday, wow, the colors here got Michigan beat. (laughs) You guys have a beautiful place in which you live. But I also know that it's one of the most unchurched areas in the whole United States. Most in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people who do not want to confess, as we sang this morning, that Jesus is Lord and do not believe in their hearts that God raised them from the dead and that there is hope, joy, and life in Him. People are saying, no, we don't need that. And so it's a beautiful context, but I also know that we shouldn't take it for granted. It's a difficult context, and that's why we need to be firmly grounded in the Word of God, led by the Spirit, and together do life together in mission to the world that so badly needs Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Amen. All right. Just want to show you for your encouragement, Steve and I were recently in uh, Estonia, very, very close to the border with Russia, where the uh, gospel is also sorely needed. And they have a little fellowship of about seven churches. But these seven churches have proposed to plant many, many new churches because they know village after village, town after town, with no single evangelical church whatsoever. Not Pentecostal, not Assemblies of God, not Baptist, not community, not Bible church, nothing. They are now saying, we want to change that. And one by one, they are training and going through a process to plant new congregations, so they probably met earlier this morning for worship in that place. Then, in Latvia, right there in the Baltics as well, this couple, barrio and Julia are uh, uh, he speaks English, Spanish, Russian, and now he 's learning latvian and he 's married to a Latvian girl, and together they are saying. We don't know how we're going to do it. We're young. We don't have that much education, but we are going to make a difference and we're going to plant a church for our generation, for young people. And they're going out in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit to plant a new congregation. So pray for Mario and Julia as they reach out. Then switching a little further on our map, I love this way that you have the video connected to the to the. Map over here. That is very creative. I congratulate the creative uh, people that have put this together. It's awesome to keep us being local, but thinking global. And that is awesome, because that way we can pray and know that we're also not alone in this, and that it's a global project. It's across the street, but also around the world. And so this guy, Steve and I met him, and we couldn't believe he said, I want to show you something. And he unlocked this thing that he obviously hadn't Opened in a long time, and it's up in the mountains, like two hours away from Kunming, and he showed us this Bible that had burnt on the sides, and what happened is 20, 30 years ago, uh, when it was even tougher than it is now, his father had had a situation where the authorities had come, they were looking for this Bible that they had heard they had, and they had hidden it in, in the stove. And while the stove was still hot, some of the pages started getting uh, burnt on the edges. Eventually, that dad spent, uh, who was also a pastor, this guy's a pastor, had spent years in prison before he was released just for owning a Bible. Thankfully, things in China are getting better, ebbs and flows. If you know about China, it's a very complicated place. What's true in one side might not be true in another side. Somebody once told me, it's like saying, what is the weather like in the U.S.? How is ministry in China? Well, in some places it's great, but in other it depends what time of the year, <laughs> when. And uh, right now things are tightening up, and we used to be able to cross uh, thousands of scriptures, which Steve is our China director, thousands of these scriptures into China with no problem, three, four times, and I've, I've gone on those uh, uh, trips with Steve, but now they're constraining it through our partnership with uh, LCI to only one. One, uh, because if you cross twice, you're already suspect and they're keeping a closer eye. So pray for those who are couriers of scriptures to get Bibles into the hands of people who need them. And uh, I like this picture also. This one is of Stephen, this guy on the left, he with the glasses. He is teaching other people in rural areas how to plant churches. So these people on those little stools that you see there were probably gathered earlier this morning worshiping God in in very humble conditions, but they've met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, and they serve the same God that you and I serve, and I take encouragement of that. So thank you for your partnership in the gospel, for helping us send scriptures and church planters into communities that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like us now to turn to see... What is this big project, be it in China, be it in in Russia, be it in the highlands of Peru? We're in a a multiplication network is in about 35 nations uh, training church planters. But what is it that brings us together also with us right here in Mill Creek in 2017? And I'd like us to look at two passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Many people have never read these two passages in the same sitting. And I think it is fascinating to see what does Isaiah say? What is the end? What is the chief purpose of the Christian life? When it's all said and done, what is it about? What is Isaiah's answer? And what is John's answer in the next to last chapter when Scripture is being closed? The canon is closing. What is it that those important words say? And what does Jesus himself say? So let's say a prayer, and then we're going to open up the Scriptures and look at that. Father... Son and Holy Spirit, we thank you because you're already present here. You have welcomed us to this place. We are your church. We are your people. We have been scattered, and now we gather to worship and gather up the praises unto you to give you honor and glory. And now we pray that your spirit might open up our minds and our hearts to hear you, to listen to you, so that we can uh, then put it into practice. Bless us, Lord, through your word and through your spirit. Amen. So let us turn first to Isaiah, chapter 65, and we'll start at verse 17. In some Bibles, it'll have a little title maybe that says, New Heaven and New Earth. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed." They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and we praise the Lord for that. Before we read the New Testament passage, let's note a few things of what Isaiah says. Many of you know Stephen Covey and some of his organizational management uh, literature and how he uh, promotes the effective leadership of organizations. And one of his famous principles that in the business world or in, in the non-profit world or in the government world or educational field, even in the church world, one of the things we've learned to appreciate of his teachings is when you start a project, start with the end in mind. In other words, what is it that in your vision, the vision and the passion that God has put in your stomach, in your mind, in your heart, what is that vision that you have? And when you can see it, then do a, a reverse engineering from that preferred future Come back to current reality and then say, what are the first baby steps that I need to take from current reality to preferred future? Or how Bill Hybels says it at the Global Leadership Summit, how do we get from here to there? Wow. Let's start with the end in mind. The question then that we could apply to the scriptures is when God started this whole project of creation, did he start with an end in mind? And if so, does scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, give us a clue as to what that big project or program is all about? Did he start with the end in mind? So let's look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah gives us a picture of the ends of times. And of course, we've got to recognize Isaiah is living in a time when the uh, people of God are going into exile They are, uh, as it would say in the Psalms, they are singing songs in a strange land. And they ask themselves, how can we sing the songs of Yahweh when we're in the midst of a strange people in a strange land? And so there's the heartache to return to their land, to the promised land, to Israel. And so in that difficult context, he is giving hope to the people for that moment, but he's also anticipating what will happen post-Christ Coming to the world post incarnation. And in verse 17 it says very clearly, Behold, here's what Isaiah Isaiah sees in his vision. I will create, says the Lord through Isaiah the prophet, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Right there we could stop and say, Wow. In American evangelicalism, one of the things that most scholars of New Testaments agree from different traditions is that Americans, we are fascinated with the duality of heaven or hell, heaven or hell. And obviously we prefer heaven and we don't want hell. And that's this very real duality. But the one that we see in Scripture, if it's to be warranted in terms of its proportion and its mention in Scripture from the creation in Genesis, later through the prophets, the judges, the Psalms, and and later in the New Testament and in Jesus' prayer and in the apocalyptic literature of Revelation, the duality that we see, the binary that we see in Scripture again and again and again is heaven and earth. It's more from a medieval times, you know, in history that the emphasis of earth got put to the side and it became heaven or hell. Now, I want to suggest something to you. Psychologists, when we're doing uh, something with children, if you are going to try to get them to eat healthy stuff because you don't want their teeth to get rotten, they say, just offer them a choice. Kids love to have a choice and they get distracted by a choice. So if you don't want them to be eating all this candy and getting their teeth messed up, what you do is you'll take an apple and a banana, for example, the candy you leave to the side so that they'll forget about it and they say, tell the kid, do you want the apple or the banana? And the kid starts looking around and he says, I'll take the banana. What does the parent know? The parent knows that it doesn't matter which choice he makes, he or she makes. If it's the apple or the banana, it's going to be a healthy choice. What we want is that they forget about the candy. I sometimes wonder, in our own perspective of American evangelicalism and Christianity, whether we sometimes have gone away from the scriptures... And we have accepted some of these medieval cultural uh, um, teachings where we have allowed the, the devil to distract us and heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell. And what do we all want? Of course, we want heaven. We don't want hell. But what have we forgotten about? Earth. And if we do justice to scripture, and we're certainly reading it here, and we'll see it then again in Revelation, but it's in Dozens and dozens and dozens of passages in Scripture. The binary is heaven and earth. It's not just about going to heaven, but it's about a new heaven and a new earth. And at the end, I'd like to answer, what does this have to do with you and me today? How does this rubber hit the road? Here it says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. It's there on the page. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad. The news that we're saying here is something that should bring us joy. This is not sad news. This is news for rejoicing. A new heaven and a new earth. Be glad, says Isaiah. Rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem. Remember, that's far away. They're dreaming about Jerusalem, singing the songs of Jerusalem. To be a delight and its people a a joy. I will take delight, and then it says in verse 19, one of the promises is that the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. I don't know this congregation, but I assume in a congregation of this size, it is fair to say that some of us came today here full of joy. Things are just going right. The day is beautiful. You've got some plans for lunch and you've got plans for this afternoon. Your family's thriving. The marriage is good and just you've received some good news. At work, things are stable. The finances are in order. Things are good and you can come to the house of the Lord and worship in spirit and in truth. For others of us, maybe not so much. Maybe there's something happening. Loneliness, the news, the promotion that was promised was given to someone else. You got a phone call. The diagnosis was not good. The relationship is even becoming more strained this week. The jealousy is still in there, and you can almost feel it physically. And for others, we just come full of questions. What is this about? If God is real, why is all this happening to me? And so you always realize as a preacher that you have both groups and others worshiping together. But here we are, here we are, and we're listening to the word of God. The promise that he says here is, The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in that new heaven and that new earth no more. That is a promise that Isaiah gives us here. Now, then look at verse 20. Never again, this is a big emphasis here, never again will there be in it an infant who lives only a few days. Most pastors who've uh, been around for at least 10 years or more have at least had in their statistical report the, the horrible task of having to console the parents that had to bury a child. We know that life is supposed to be in a normal life cycle, the children bury the parents. And someday the children of those uh, children will bury them as parents. And it's a horrible thing when parents have to bury a child. Here in the promise it says that will no longer happen in the new heaven and the new earth. And I'll skip down to verse 21. There's something phenomenal that is said here and it's said twice. Isaiah, just in case we don't believe it, says it once in the positive and once in the negative. He says they will build houses, meaning the people blessed by God, and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat its fruit. Wow, what a picture. But then if we don't believe it, it says it again, but in the negative. Look at the next verse. It says, no longer will they build houses and others live in them. No longer will uh, they have to plant and others get to eat its fruit. Wow, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of justice. Finally, there will be true, godly justice and righteousness in the land. You see, these people are in exile. They have to build houses, but then others get to live those houses. They have to plant vineyards, but others get to enjoy its good wine. But now it's saying, no longer will that happen in the new heaven and the new earth. They will build houses and they get to live in them. They will plant more vineyards and they get to enjoy its fruit. This is a picture of justice and righteousness. The God way, the Jesus way. And then a little further down, it says, They will not toil in in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. And he says that he will hear and respond even while they're still speaking. He will respond to their petitions. And then it finishes with another picture. Justice on the one hand, but peace on the other. Where do we see the picture of peace? You yourself can take a look at verse 21 and you can figure it. I'm sorry, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb are going to lay together. And then it says, the lion will eat straw like the ox. Now, some people wanting to take the Bible more literally than what it is actually saying are saying, okay, Uh, I remember a professor telling me, is God really that interested in changing the lion's digestive system so that it can eat straw? Or is this in the Hebrew thinking a perfect picture of these animals that usually devour each other are now together. And what it is, is an image of peace. And the Hebrew mind would have understood this is not a digestive uh, uh, system lesson or scientific lesson. This is a picture, an image that is truer than, than anything else that, that we can experience that God will someday in the new heaven and the new earth bring both justice and peace and they will come together. As it says in the prophet Am- Amos in that book, it says, when, Until justice and peace embrace or give each other a holy kiss. This is the promise of a new heaven and a new earth in the Old Testament. But they could only understand it partially because they were before Jesus. So now let's go past the Jesus incarnation moment and let's go to the last book in the Bible and let's see what we can learn. If God starts with the end in mind, what is that end that he has in mind? And let's look now at, we looked at what Isaiah would say. Now let's look at what John says As the book is about to close, you know, the last pages are important, right? When you read a book, some people can't wait. So they go read the end of the book because they want to see how things end. I don't like to do that. I want to have the whole experience of the surprise and the crisis moment and then going forward to the denouement till the last moment of how does this resolve? And so here in the end of the Bible, in verse 21, we see John saying something very similar to this question. How does God... What, is the, how, what does the project end like? Let's take a look what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new... Somebody help me. Earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Wow! Praise be to God for these words. Let's analyze briefly or let's study together and just make some observations of the text. What I always ask is that, since I preach in different churches of different types throughout the world, I always ask that you always make sure that it's in Scripture and that you stay uh, true to what the Scripture teaches and make sure it's grounded in the Word, led by the Spirit, and that it helps the church in its mission. Anything that doesn't qualify for that, let a good Washington wind take it out into the ocean. Okay? Now, here we go. The first thing is... When he sees, he sees something very similar to what Isaiah saw. Do you notice that right away? He also says, a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, we've got to stop here for a moment because some of you sports enthusiasts, people who love the ocean, who love the sea, who like fishing, always wonder, what's going on with this text? Is it true? Can it be true that there's no longer any sea in heaven? I've got some good news for you. But then later you check with the biblical interpretation and I want to make sure that it gets filtered through your pastor and your leadership of your church so that the teaching is proper and biblical and scriptural. But most scholars, most biblical commentaries are telling us that in the Hebrew mind, when you think of the sea, you've got to automatically understand what they would have have understood when this was written. When you talk about the sea, the sea is what in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mind, is where the Leviathan lives. It's where the marine monster lives. Lives In the sea is where God casts all chaos. In the sea is where all your sins have been thrown away. So the sea can become that metaphorical place of chaos trying to wreak havoc over God's good creation. So when it says there is no longer any sea. Rather than just thinking, is there a body of water or not a body of water? The Hebrew mind is thinking there's no longer any chaos, no more pain, no more havoc in God's good creation. So those of you who like sea fishing, you can relax a little bit. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer sea. And then there's this good news. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, isn't this interesting? Isaiah had talked about Jerusalem and the hope for his people to be able to return to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem takes on a new meaning when John says that he sees the new Jerusalem doing what? This is an important verb. Always underline verbs when you do looking at the text. Coming down from where? Coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Wow. Heaven has come down, we know, in Jesus' first coming. Part of the good news of the gospel against what many philosophies and religions around the world teach. You know, in in many of the places where we are Uh, with Multiplication Network training church planters to go out. They deal with evil powers, with demonic powers. They deal with uh, other religious contexts where the whole idea is uh, how good do I need to be To be make amends with some divinity or do I prepare a certain fire? Do I do things with dolls? Do I do I just help ladies cross the street and be a good person? How good do I need to be to climb the ladder of goodness so that I might earn some points of salvation towards God? The good news of the, of the gospel is that it's not about climbing something and making effort to get up to God, but rather that God in Jesus Christ has become one of us. Heaven came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And I remember I once made a huge mistake and a professor corrected me because I said, yeah, half God, half human. And he said, no, fully God, fully human. It's the mystery of the incarnation and that He would come as a baby, into what until then was an insignificant people. And there wasn't even room at the four-star, five-star, three-star hotel. He had to stay somewhere uh, and and be born amongst uh, uh, the the animals there and the straw and the hay. And then later he would be soon in exile and having to be a a refugee, like you're going to hear about next week in the refugee crisis that's going on today. Jesus can identify because he became one of us in all aspects except sin. The good news is heaven came down. The good news here in this eschatological picture, eschatological is just a fancy word theologians like to use that. It's the study of end things, of end times, of how does the big project end. It's a new heaven and a new earth. We saw that in Isaiah and some descriptors of it. Here John is saying this is what it's going to be like and heaven is once again coming down. Now, this is really important. I I, I went to Ireland last year. My wife, Angela, and I were married 25 years uh, uh, last year. We saved up our pennies and we did a trip that was significant for us to go to Ireland and go drive all around the island but one of the things I had to learn is to drive with a wheel on the other side when in the little rental car, it was a stick shift, so that even made it a little more complicated. And then twice during those uh, two weeks, I turned in what I would think was the normal way, like we drive here, and when I went like this, all of a sudden all the cars are coming against me and I had to go and go the other way or I would be in serious trouble. I wonder whether sometimes the American church believing some of the things they've taught us from medieval times, is thinking all the time about, we need to get out of here and go up to heaven, go up to heaven. And we're going in the wrong direction when God has us here with a purpose. And heaven, at the end of time, at least is what it says here, John, as the book is closing, is saying, behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth, and Jerusalem is not going up, it's coming down. This is what we would call in simple language, the second coming. Jesus is coming back. We believe as part of our story that in the same way that Jesus lived and taught and did the parables, he died for our sins to make us new, to to connect us to the Father, to justify us, to forgive our sins, to give us new life and hope. And then after he went to the cross, he resurrected, inviting us into abundant life. Then he ascended into heaven, a piece of earth going up To heaven. Just like heaven came to earth. And then in heaven he says, wait there. He said to his disciples, I will send one that is powerful. I will send the comforter. The paracletos is one of the words used in the New Testament. It's the paraclete, the one, the advocate. The one that walks beside you. The comforter will come and empower you. Not only for Christian victorious living, but to participate in God's mission into the world. Wow. And this... This transition between heaven and earth continues. And there's a porosity between heaven and earth. But you know, brothers and sisters, heaven doesn't need more faith, hope, and love. They've got lots of faith, hope, and love up there. They've got all the faith, hope, and love that they need. Where do we need more faith, hope, and love? On earth! That's why Apostle Paul, check in your New Testament, says... I am a citizen of heaven. But where is he? He's on earth. You and I, if we've believed on Jesus Christ and have accepted the hope and the joy of the Christian way, not that it doesn't come with suffering. Because that, 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 the, the story is not yet complete. It's begun, but it's not complete. So it comes with suffering and headaches and difficulties. But we're in the joy way of Jesus. We are in that mission with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Awaiting the new heaven and the new earth. But Jesus is coming back. The king is coming back. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Now let's see what else does the text say here. As we wind this up. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now. Now when this has happened. The dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. And again, descriptors just like the ones we saw in Isaiah, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And here are my favorite words in the whole New Testament, maybe in the whole of Scripture. Verse 5 of chapter 21. He who was seated on the throne, who is that? We know who. That's Jesus, King Jesus. He says, behold, in some some versions, I am making all things new. And then just in case we don't give it importance, he says, write it down. He says to John, write it down for these words are trustworthy and true. If these words are trustworthy and true, let's pay attention to them. What are they? Behold, I am making all things new. Now, here's something that you need to understand before you leave this place. Forget about me, forget about multiplication network, but don't forget these words out of Scripture. Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Two things you need to remember about this text. One, He did not say, I am all done making all things new. If He had said that, we would look around, and we'd say, Wow, it sure doesn't look You know, just think of Las Vegas shooting or the fires and the people losing their homes or the disaster in Puerto Rico. But we don't even have to go that far. We can look through the window into the world, but we could also look at the mirror and look at ourselves and say, I know when I'm honest and soberly thinking about myself, not too high, not too low, but just thinking soberly about myself, as Scripture calls me to, that there's still brokenness there. There's still things that need repair. I would be able to say, Everything is not finished in terms of making all things new. But it also doesn't say, not just not the past, but it doesn't say, someday, just hold on, put your seatbelts on, because someday I will make all things new, future. The Greek scholars tell us that here, and even in our English, it's what is called a present continuous. Present continuous means that He can say, I am making all things new. The project has already begun. He is making and it continues unto completion. Present continuous. Why is this important? Because this is where we can answer the question of application. What on earth does Isaiah and John have to do with us here in Mill Creek in 2017? And I'd like us just to take a few minutes to consider this. When Jesus says, I am making all things new, He is also, through the outpouring of His Holy Spirit, inviting the church. The protagonist is not the church. The protagonist is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the first community. He is then inviting the image bearers of His, men and women, young and old, who have said yes to Jesus Christ, to have a new identity, And a new vocation. New identity and a new vocation. When you said yes to Jesus, you immediately get a new identity. And secondly, you have at the same time a new vocation. You're a mechanic, but now you're a Christian mechanic. You're a painter, but now you're a Christian follower of Jesus and a painter. Whatever, a banker, a businessman, a teacher, whatever your role might be, your new vocation is now to do it unto the glory of God. Not just as unto men, but in all areas of life, participate, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in the big, huge project of God of bringing His redemptive reign and rule The message of salvation, evangelism, discipleship, small group Bible study, healing, words of encouragement, admonition, preaching the gospel, but also fixing the brakes as unto the Lord, hanging those curtains, making poetry, doing science playing the guitar, doing video, whatever it is, as you participate in the biggest project of all. The Great Commission, but the Great Commission of the bowl, sitting within the biggest bowl of all. You know how you put stacked bowls together in the kitchen, you put the bigger ones on the bottom, and then the medium ones, and then the little ones, and so forth. They're all important bowls, they all have their place. The, one of the biggest in Scripture is the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, make disciples. But... That bowl sits even within the largest bowl of all, making all things new. And you and I have the privilege, the privilege of participating, not only in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, which can make a great church, but also in the big project of renewing with Jesus All things. I want to finish with this story. They say that in the old times, a king would go out to conquer another king and go into battle. And if he had a victory, emissaries would come back to the town or the city that he had left to tell the town, prepare the way. Because the king is coming back victorious with prisoners of war and gold and silver and everything he had. And so the people who were left in the town, all the warriors had gone with the king to fight, right? But the people who were left in the town, they could not sit just like this and say, "Well, well, the king's coming back, so what? No, they had two responsibilities. One is they needed to prepare the city Because the king, the rightful owner of the city, is coming back. So prepare the city for the king. The second thing that they would do is they'd send a group of musicians and maybe some women with tambourines and some dancers because they heard about the victory. So they would go out to see the king. And they don't go with the king and then go somewhere else to some other planet. Where are they headed? They turn around with the king. And they enter into his rightful city. This is where heaven and earth become important. Because when we talk about where does God live, people say, well, God resides in heaven. But as we look at the flow of scripture, he created as his footstool, he created earth. We'll leave the hell part for another sermon. That can be at a different time. But let's not get distracted by the big story That heaven is coming down. Jerusalem is coming down again. The king came once. He's renewed us. He's begun this incredible project that only can happen through the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without a resurrection, we have no story. Without Jesus, we don't have a story. There are people there, theologians, who try to cut out certain parts of the scripture and try to see, can we do this without Jesus? No. Can't do it. We don't have a story without Jesus. Without a cross, we don't get the crown. There's a lot of prosperity gospel out there too. Everything's victory. Everything's good. Give him a hundred bucks, he'll give you a thousand. Give him a thousand, he'll give you ten thousand. And it's more seeking the blessing than the blessed one. Be careful with that kind of gospel. A Christ-centered gospel pays attention. The king is coming back. We get to prepare his rightful city. We get to prepare creation for his return. And whatever that cataclysmic event looks like, I know some people pull out their maps and their figures and their colored charts and stuff. I always get a little nervous of that, so I don't touch that topic too much. Uh, I just know the king is coming back. I'm not on the planning committee. I don't know about you, but I invite you to be with me on the welcoming committee. Jesus is coming back and he will like to find us busy about his kingdom work so that the taste of heaven, we are ambassadors of the interests of heaven on earth. Don't be such a hurry for going to heaven. Be in a hurry for Maranatha. Jesus, come soon. May God bless this church at Mill Creek as you participate locally. These things that you see happening around the world, They are serving the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're participating in making all things new and in the Great Commission and in the Great Commandment in the same way that we right here with our neighbors can participate. And as the pastor said, if it's happening over there, why can't we believe that those same great things can happen here? We'd love to talk to you a little bit more about Multiplication Network. If you have just two minutes to talk to Steve or this servant, be with us uh, at the table later and have a cup of coffee. We'd love to talk with you. But may God bless this congregation under pastor, uh, the pastor and the leadership of this church as you together participate through the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is doing, making all things new. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, which empowers us not only for Christian victorious living, but also to participate in the renewal of all things. Lord, you know where the brokenness is. You know where the hurt is and where the pain is. We know that the project has begun. We know that your redemptive rule is already in our midst. You say the kingdom is in your, in your midst. But we also know that we have to anticipate that which will someday be fully, fully true. All things will be consummated and there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more cancer, no more unemployment, no more depression, no more jealousy, no more anger. Oh, Lord, we await that day. Help us to work toward it and to be humble servants that work courageously in what you are doing. For we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.